So most of us uh, grew up in traditional or evangelical churches, is that right? Where we learned about what I'm going to call the emasculated Jesus of the Western church. We learned about Christian character traits like gentleness, meekness, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those things that are non-threatening. Teach us how to be nice, meek, submissive Christians. Sang songs about the gentle breeze of Jesus. Didn't learn much about the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit, but the gentle breeze, you know. Excuse me, I'm going to poke the bear a little bit this morning. So missing from anywhere near the top of the list was faith, courage, Holy Spirit power to overcome the devil, etc. And yet when you read through Scripture, the heroes of faith are not the meek, quiet, gentle, kind They're the courageous ones. They're the ones who are willing to put their life on the line. We learned that there are three essentials to be a good Christian. You have to read your Bible, you have to pray, and you have to fellowship. And those are actually three essentials to grow from infancy to childhood. But they're not going to bring you into adulthood. I'm just informing you now. It's not enough. It works fairly well to keep people immature and dependent. But I want to share three essentials to grow into maturity. Am I talking to the right group of people today? Okay, I think there's a hunger here. Number one, relationships. This isn't going to feel good to some of us any more than it felt really good when the Lord began to deal with me about it. My dad was a born-again Amish preacher. And uh, our relationship had gotten healed and restored the last 10 years of his life to the place where he really became a hero in my life. There was so much of the nature and character of Jesus that had been developed in him. But one thing I couldn't stand, and that was that victim thing that is so prevalent in that culture that, well, I just have to take it. I just have to give myself up and allow people to steamroll him. And victimize him. And I believe my dad died of a broken heart because of how he allowed some people to victimize him. And he didn't challenge them, and he allowed it to happen. See, when John the Baptist came, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah to tear down the high places, raise up the low places. The high places are the places where people have dominated and controlled and victimized people. Where strongholds of darkness have kept people with that, uh, given people the uh, power to keep other people under their thumb. The kingdom of God comes to tear down those high places and to raise up the low places, the places where we were victimized, the places where we, where the enemy just was able to keep people in a position of victimization and poverty generationally without recourse. Jesus came to lift up those low places. To make the rough places smooth, the crooked places straight. You know, that's what the kingdom does. And in that culture, I saw so much of that. A few dominant people just victimizing a lot of other people. You know, and and I was, uh, several years ago, I was uh, driving down the road and 
and I was meditating and processing with the Lord about some of the things that I remembered and admired about my dad. And then that one thing came up, and I'm like talking to him about And the Lord said, you know, you've become just like that. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have. And I thought it was a noble thing to do. And Amanda, Amanda has given me some pushback over the years about it. She would put her finger on it, and I'm like, yeah, that's, no, that's not that. Well, it was. And so I started dealing with that. And I'm still dealing with it. Jesus taught us about protocols for healthy kingdom relationships. If someone offends you, go to them. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. I wish I could put a percentage on the number of believers who actually practice that. But it's a pretty low percentage. Someone offends us, we don't talk to him anymore. We isolate from them. We exit their lives any way we can. We leave the church and go to a different one. We may even move geographically to get away from people who've offended us. Instead of doing what Jesus said. Someone offends you, go to your brother. And, by the way, do it before... You get so full of anger that you lash out at them and completely destroy the relationship. Most of us, I would dare say, let me just say many of us grew up in a passive aggressive culture where we allow people to steamroll us and victimize us until we get so mad that we lash out at them in anger and completely destroy the relationship. Some of us grew up in homes like that. A lot of dads were like that. Emotionally absent, disconnected, not engaged in a healthy way with their kids and with their families until their cup overflowed, so to speak, with anger, and they would lash out in anger. That's the only time they were really present emotionally was in anger. Okay? It's time to break those cycles. It's time to break those cycles. If we're going to be powerful men and women of God, it's time to break those ungodly cycles and start doing what they call in fish uh, brave communications where we're willing to go to our brother and sister and do what Jesus said. You know what? We've got an issue here. Maybe you didn't mean to do this, but this is what you did, and it really hurt me. And we need to work through this because I value our relationship too much to allow this just to pass and bitterness to build up in my heart towards you. And then when it goes to the next level, it gets really unhealthy, which means I allow myself to get bitter and I tell other people about the offense. So now I've completely robbed these people of the opportunity for reconciliation because there's a whole bunch of other people now that have taken on a second offense and there's no, there's no opportunity for them to resolve something because they weren't involved with it in the first place. I shouldn't say there's no opportunity. There's very limited opportunity at that point. And these are cycles that we need to be willing to break. It's going to take a few brave men and women Boys and girls, doesn't just have to be grown-ups, kids can engage in this stuff too, to be willing to engage in the healing of relationships instead of allowing these unhealthy offenses to, to develop bitter roots in people. And, and, you know, there's families that are represented here this morning that have probably got these bitter roots working in your family and turning people against each other. And lashing out at each other and destroying relationships because we've not been willing to do what Jesus said. Let me say this. If we're stuck in that place, there's no way that we will grow into spiritual maturity. 
that will keep you stuck in perpetual immaturity. If you're, because relationships are the primary tool that God brought into your life to help develop character in you. And how to work through issues, how to, to, to uh, uh, face things honestly and openly and, and, have, and not allow these walls to develop and not allow this, this slander against brothers and sisters to be passed around about us. Uh, but to deal with things as they come up. And when you start doing that, I promise you, you'll start understanding that some, a place where you've been stuck in your life, you can begin to grow again. Because you're willing to do. And, you know, uh, I, I personally believe that Jesus was a pretty intelligent guy. I do. I don't think we've got a better, a be, a better plan that anyone's developed yet. Uh, I'll, I'll take a whole stack of how-to books and, and, and trade them in for what Jesus taught any day. And if somebody thinks they can improve on Jesus' process, you know, they've been trying for 2,000 years, and I don't think they've improved on it. I don't think they have. And when it comes to church leadership and everything, we've tried, we thought we were smarter than Jesus and developed our own processes and our own ways to do leadership in the church, and we've failed miserably because Jesus is the lawgiver of the new covenant. And we can't do anything that's wiser or smarter than what Jesus taught us. Amen? So we're going to have to deal with relationships if we want to grow, if we want to mature. And I think every one of us has a desire to grow into our potential in the kingdom. Is that right? Am I talking to the right people still? All the hands still going up? Okay. Praise God. We're cooking with gas now. Um, Jesus said, as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So when we whine and complain and slander our brother and sister, we're doing it to Jesus. And I'm, and I'm telling you, he takes it personally when you attack his kids. They may not measure up to your standard of perfection, but if they're his kids, they're his kids. I was being a little sarcastic there. I want, to reva- I want to value relationships enough to be willing to work through issues in love, not anger, because I let it build up. Dealing honestly and in love with issues and relationships is essential if we want to grow into maturity. Please hear me. Moses lost his opportunity to take the children of Israel into the promised land because he let anger build up inside of him. And he then lashed out in anger instead of responding in obedience to the Lord. And the Lord, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not presenting myself as a standard of perfection in any way. Jesus is the only perfect one. But the Lord dealt with me about that so many years ago. When you stand up to minister to my people, I don't want you to reacting against anything that has happened to you. Whether it's through personally between you and anyone in the congregation and lash out at all of them because you're mad. You deal with your anger. So that when you uh, speak to my people, you're not lashing out at them in anger. Because he takes it personally. And we have a responsibility. And, and uh, it's really easy to be passive aggressive and lash out in anger at a group of people because we've not resolved an issue with one or two. Amen? And then Jesus continued in verse 16. If you will not hear, take with you one or two more. By the way, if I didn't tell you where that is, that is in Matthew 18. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, I'm not quite sure. 
how we should treat heathens and tax collectors, maybe more with love than with hate. Right? Jesus hung out with heathens and tax collectors. He didn't isolate from them. But there was a certain inner circle that they were not allowed, that they could not enter into in their relationship because they didn't have that level of relationship with him. The other part of relationships that we really need to get right is we have to submit to godly authority in our life. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. That, that needs a whole other message. And, and, and I'm not one who's, who uh, beats the drum of you have to submit to me. That's not what I'm doing at all. But I do know that the Lord wants to raise up fathers and mothers in the body of Christ. But we need fathers and mothers in the nation. We're, we've become a fatherless culture. And before you can be a father, you have to be a son. Before you can be a mother, you have to be a daughter. And those are the exact words the Lord spoke to me when I was serving Pastor Sanders in Virginia. And I was chafing against the idea that I had to submit under somebody else's authority. Someone who wasn't perfect, by the way. Can you believe that? And the Lord said to me, remember, I said, I've called you to be a father. And I said, yeah. Well, before you can be a father, you have to be a son. Okay, I got it. And I did. And I served him. And I served him faithfully until the Lord released me. I'm not saying I did it perfectly, but I did it faithfully. Number two, if you want to grow into maturity, you've got to start eating solid food and not baby food. <laughs> you know, the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew words for teach the word picture that's given is of a mother taking a, taking a piece of solid food, chewing it up in her mouth, and then putting it in the mouth of the, of the, ch- of the child or the baby. That's the best, next best thing to a little food grinders that they use now, right? And that's really a picture of someone that has a relationship with God or an insight into the Word of God, breaking things down into a form that we can assimilate them. But if you're going to grow into a mature adult, you need to start chewing on some stuff for yourself. You need to start digging out some things for yourself and not just rely on other people to feed you. Amen? Uh, In Hebrews 5, the writer is talking about Jesus as our high priest called after the order of Melchizedek. And in verse 9, Hebrews 5, 9, he says, Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which, by the way, is a fascinating study. And he wanted to get into it, but then he said, Of whom I have much to say, and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk, and all right, hear me, I'm not against milk. Milk is amazing for babies. It's not food for adults. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use, they've not just received the word, they've put the word into practice. And remember what... uh, they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Remember when Jesus ministered to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? And, and, uh, and his disciples thought that, that he was talking to them about food. How are you, do you want food or whatever? He said, I, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. I have meat to eat that you don't know not of. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
There's a sustenance that comes to us as we begin to give out, as we begin to put into practice what we've received, as we begin to step out of our own comfortable place and start ministering to other people what we've received ourselves. There's something that happens to us where we begin to be fed by the master himself. That doesn't mean we then get to isolate from the body and do our own thing. What it means is that we begin to grow into maturity. That God begins to be able to open up revelation to us and begin to feed us in a way that our teachers are being fed. Does that make sense? And I kind of look at it this way. And this is, this is what a school, like a, our ministry school, is supposed to be and I believe is. Uh, for some of you who grew up on a farm and you had a hand pump, how many of you worked with a hand pump before? And... and you know, when you go out there and the thing's dry, you can pump and pump and pump and you're not going to get any water. And so you take a little water and you pour it down into around the rod and it creates a seal and then you can pump water. And that's what our ministry school is, is water to prime the pump so that you can draw water out of your own well and begin to water yourself, not just depend on other people to water you. Amen? Amen? And, and that's what uh, Christian education should be, is priming your pump, getting you started, getting you with a, with a foundation that you can build on so that you can go further, so that you can learn what it takes to draw water out of your own well and to begin to feed on things that the master gives you himself. Solid food is not handed to you on a spoon or from a baby food jar. We need something more than Sunday school lessons to grow into maturity on. Nothing against Sunday school lessons. But I'm telling you, you need something more than that to grow into maturity. We could say it's the difference between eating manna in the wilderness, that which lays on the surface and even children can gather and eat. The kids would go out and run and play and gather this manna off the ground. Anybody could. And that's like the word that's laying on the surface. It's, it's, you can take it at face value. And it's, and it's good and it's nutritious, but it's not meat. And it won't take you into the front lines of the battle that you're called to go to as an adult in the kingdom. Strong meat belongs to those who are full age, who by reason of use... They put it into practice in their life. They're not just sat on it. They have put it into practice. They begin to give what they've received. They've begun to get activated in the things that they've learned. Revelation begins to open to us. And as we meditate on the word, understanding comes. You go into Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is a man who does not uh, walk in the counsel of the God, un- ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, nor... nor, nor uh, uh, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the word of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. And if you go to the end of the passage, it says, whatever he does will prosper. Because he's meditated on the word. He didn't just read uh, And I've shared this before, but I'm, I'm going to say it again. Spiritually speaking, you're, you're put together like a cow or an oxen. You, you are, really. You have two stomachs. First one's here, the second one's here. So when you read, it goes into your mind. When you meditate, it goes from here to down to your, into your spirit. And it becomes something that you can assimilate, something you can digest, something that will feed you nutritionally and help you grow. And that's what it means to meditate on the Word of God. Meditating... Biblically, it doesn't mean emptying your mind and let anything float into your mind that, you know, kind of like Eastern religion teaches you. It's actually meditating on something, the Word of God, breaking it down, chewing on it, praying over it, studying on it, comparing this scripture with that. And all of a sudden it begins to break down and it begins to open up to you and make sense to you. And I've chewed, I've chewed on tough pieces of meat for 10 or 15 years before it broke down and opened up to me. But it would, because God put an issue in my heart for me to chew on that thing because he's got treasure there for me. And that's the way it is for all of us. We get into a passage of scripture and we chew on it and say, like, man, I'm not sure what that means, but, but there's something about that. Well, keep chewing on it and come back and chew on it again. 
and chew on it again. And, and, and in due time, the Lord will open that thing up to you and reveal a treasure that he has for you there. Does that make sense? As we meditate on the word, understanding comes. The veil is removed between our eyes and God's word. And in the process, a veil is removed between our hearts and God's heart. Because you can't separate the word from God himself. Jesus is the word of God. He's the, he's the physical or the literal manifestation of the word of God. His name in, in Revelation is called the word of God. Scripture begins to interpret itself as the Holy Spirit uncovers further truth. It's like an amazing exercise of connect the dots. It's one of my favorite things to do in life. Is, is, is to chew on Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to open up Scripture and Revelation to come. Theologically, it's called hermeneutics. A principle or method of Scripture interpretation. It's not only a method, a method in my opinion, but a central method that every mature believer will come to understand is how Scripture begins, is a process of connecting dots and interpreting itself and uncovering itself. And it all fits together when the Holy Spirit leads it and you're, you're hitting on all cylinders, so to speak. Now, if you're coming from left wing and you've got an agenda that you want to prove, don't expect the Word of God to open up to you because you have to begin by submitting yourself to the authority of the Word of God. When you want to go in the, in the Word to prove something that you've already decided that you believe and you're not open, don't expect the Word of God to yield to that because it's not going to. But if you have submitted your heart and your mind and your life to the authority of the Word of God, God will begin to feed you from His Word. Does that make sense? Second Corinthians 3.12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope... We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Let me remind you that when this was written, there was no New Testament. So it literally means in the reading of Scripture, not just Old Testament Scripture. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And as some of you know, I've got a better translation than that one. And that is, where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Spirit of the Lord is everywhere. But where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Which is really what it says. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, when our heart turns to the Lord, submits to the Lord, and there's literally veils that are lifted off of our heart. And his word begins to open up to us because we've yielded ourselves to his word. We've given his word authority over our life. We've learned to trust that his word has, uh, reveals his purpose for our life, his destiny for our life. And so it's so important that we feed on the meat of the word and not just on baby food the rest of our life. If your spiritual diet is listening to your favorite preachers. Praise God for your favorite preachers. Hopefully I'm one of them. <laughs> but it's not enough. You need to feed from the master's own hand. And there's an invitation for all of us to do that. And that's where we develop that intimate relationship with him. We're not going to have that apart from his word. Isaiah said, the Lord looks on those who tremble at his word. 
And the third thing that is required for us to grow into maturity is that we need to surrender to our kingdom assignment and the process that it takes to get there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because we talk about that quite a bit here. But I'm going to say this. In the military, maybe I don't know how many of you have been in the military, but I'm here to tell you that all of you are called to be in God's military. And the same principles apply. The last orders received from your commanding officer are your standing orders until you receive further orders. And in Matthew 28, we find the last orders from our commander-in-chief before he left the planet. And if we do not engage in our part in that commission, we cannot grow into full maturity or reach our full potential. In other words, God's cut... God's call in our life is to be more than professional students. And I'm being kind. I could call us educated idiots. Because that's what a lot of people that just focused on the education but not putting it into practice in their life have actually become. Big in the head, underdeveloped in every other area. That's why we call them eggheads. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore. Right? It's because Jesus has been given all authority. So if we've been following his teachings, we know that what that means is he's giving us that same authority. Because he's been given us all authority, he had already told his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so the therefore is there to tell us, I've been given all this authority, and now you go with that authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He didn't say, take the gospel of salvation to the nations. He didn't say, go and, and uh, translate Bibles for all the nations, although it includes those things. But he said, make disciples. Bring the gospel of the kingdom, which includes discipleship, discipling people and nations and tribes baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all, was even to the end of the age. Those are the standing orders that we've received. Now, just a little side note. When we got together to start planting Fire in the Hills this year, you know, we were talking about, you know, how we're going to lay it out and what's going to look like and all that. And the subject of water baptism came up, and I'm like, and my first impulse was the same as it was last year. Ask such a sacred cow with the bishops, you know, because it threatens their church membership and all that. If people get baptized in water, let's not make a big deal about it. And this year I heard the Lord say to me very clearly, did you forget that water baptism is part of the gospel of the kingdom? I'm like, oh, Lord. Yes, I did. Sorry. Okay. We're going to do it. We're going to have one night when it's going to be about water baptism, and we're going to have a mass baptism, and we're going to, we're going to poke this bear because it needs to be poked. It was the catalyst for the beginning of the whole Anabaptist revival movement. Maybe it's going to happen again. Amen? And so night five is going to be Dean Briggs unpacking water baptism. And if you have been in fish, you know what happens when Dean, uh, Dean Briggs theologically unpacks water baptism. Everyone wants to get baptized. So we're going to have a big pool. We're going to have a mass baptism that night. And it's going to be amazing. And you don't need to be spreading that around everywhere. I'm telling you, get ready and get prepared. Because we're going to see God come and shake some things that night for sure. Amen.
So everyone's part in the Great Commission is different but necessary. And this summer, we have some wonderful opportunities for growth and development of leaders. And as you know, part of that assignment uh, is, is actually to get, get involved in missions. All of you need to be involved in missions, every one of you. No one is exempt. No one is exempt from the Great Commission to take the gospel to the nations and disciple people and nations. And we, we're, we're getting unprecedented opportunities to do that. All of you need to be involved. How? Some of us need to go. Some of us need to seriously make a commitment to pray for those who go. Some of us need to seriously get involved with helping to train those who go. Some of us need to get seriously involved in funding those who go and, and the assignments that God gives us in the nations. All of us need to get involved. And according to scripture, everyone who's involved gets equal rewards. Everyone shares in the rewards, no matter what the role that the Father has given us to go to the nations and make disciples. And uh, right now I'm kind of putting a pause on missions for me until Fire in the Hills is over because my mission right now is local. But after that I'll be going and we'll be taking teams the rest of the year. And it's amazing because the Lord's, the more we go, the more, the more God opens up doors to go. And I'm, I'm just seeing our missions community uh, exponentially growing as we can continue being faithful to our call to the nations. And, and the, the value that God gave me early on in missions was not my, an original Yuri quote. It was from an old missionary somewhere. But, I, but I've adopted it, and it's mine now. And that is the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. I really strongly believe that the church that's going to be on fire in this next season slash age that we're coming into is the one that is engaged in taking the gospel to the nations. This summer we have some wonderful opportunities for growth and development of leaders. We have youth ministry and events coming up this summer that are, really excite me. Uh, we have Fire in the Hills prayer ministry and outreach teams. Uh, as we finalize our purchase of the property in Worcester, there are multiple ministries that will begin to take shape on our new property. And, uh, and I want to highlight one of them right now that's pretty amazing, and that is our dream interpretation team. And I don't see Katie here today, but there's some others here who are part of that team. And uh, I have come to value them so much because they take dreams that people have that relate to Freedom Fellowship, that relate to some of our assignments and some of the missions assignments and things that are going on. And they have been trained to prophetically unpack those dreams and to bring an, uh, an interpretation and an application for us in ways that have become so valuable to me. They've been trained by... Uh, under the teaching of John Redenbow and what he has trained. And I so value the wisdom that God has given us. I believe he's a modern-day Joseph when it comes to the wisdom to unpack dreams and to bring the interpretation to us. And I've come to just really uh, value them and what they bring to us. I don't know. It would be difficult for us to transition into some of the things God has called us to if we did not have a powerful uh, team to unpack dreams and, and interpretation of dreams. And, and maybe you come from a church where all of that sounds like hocus pocus to you. Uh, I understand I used to be part of churches like that. But let me tell you, to say that God doesn't use dreams to lead and guide his people would be to deny what God did all the way through the Old and the New Testament. Because dreams was a primary way that God brought direction or a change of direction to his people, including Joseph uh, and Mary, including the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, uh, God reveals a lot of things through vision, but I believe that a primary uh, method that God uses to bring a, a revelation that requires a change of direction or a correction is in dreams. And praise God that uh, we have that team because I salute them, absolutely. 
We have other amazing teams, but that one's powerful. Um, Our missions assignments are becoming more and more a central part of our DNA. And uh, there's an urgency to mobilize. There's just not enough hours in the day or days in the week for us to do it, so we're going to have to... I, I told the Lord I'm not at a place yet where I can be omnipresent, but I'm getting close to that need, so... And I can do that through you. We can multiply ourselves. And uh, so I'm really asking the Lord for wisdom and and delegating powerfully and responsibly. Um, Many of you are called to become powerful fathers and mothers in the body of Christ. And you know it. But that means that you need to be able to grow into maturity. And and so what I'm giving you today is keys to developing into maturity and, and, uh, and some things that we need to really uh, put into effect in our life if we want to get off of, I don't know about you, but I don't like canned food very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a time when I would eat Chef Boyardee, <laughs> and now I'm like, are you kidding me? SpaghettiOs, are you kidding me? Gross. I've learned to appreciate solid food, healthy food that's not laden with chemicals and, and stuff and that actually feeds and, and brings nutrition and, and, and quality energy without being so full of chemicals and other things that the, the, the liabilities are stronger than the assets. The side effects are maybe more significant than the benefits. So... And I think that's something God put in every one of us, spiritually speaking, is that we want good, healthy, solid food that we can feed on so that we can grow into our potential as sons and daughters of the king. Um, And so I want to encourage every one of you. Amanda wants to share something? Okay. All right. He's learned to trust me. Uh, I just wanted to just touch on uh, the um, dealing with the fence. And I just want to share some maybe practical and uh, wisdom that I had learned over the years. And um, because whether you are the one who has uh, been offended or hurt and you are the one who goes, is you're going to the person to talk about it. Um, one of the things that we've learned from... Can we, uh, while she's uh, doing this, can we set up for communion, please? So um, one of the things that we learned from Brave brave Communication is that um, instead of going and just saying to that person, and and I'm very much about, um, sometimes we think about it's just in the church and people in your family, you know, your relatives that that have hurt you, but it's very much in... in, um, play, even in your relationships, even, you know, you know, believe it or not, you, you know, Yuri used to not be perfect like he is now. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, he would say things sometimes that, that would hurt me. And, and I would do the same, you know, obviously I did the same thing back, but we would, it's so easy to say, you know, we respond, we react and we, and we hurt back. But I've learned one of the things, the, the thing that, that brave communication taught me was I would go, instead of just saying, you hurt me, you did this, go to, go to him and say, what did you mean when you said this? Because this is how I received it. Allow them, allow that person to explain to you what they meant. Because so many times that person that hurts us or offended us has no idea they did it. Okay, so that's what Yuri said about uh, we need to have an opportunity to, to um, a- explain ourselves. There are times when we did it because we had an attitude or we, you know, we, we hurt. And we, and we have an action opportunity for us to grow um, by being the recipient, you know, having the person come to us both ways. We, we, to go to somebody and tell them that, 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 that they, what they said or did hurt us, um, we have to check our hearts and make sure that we're not going to use it to poke and to be throwing it at their face and make a statement because that can also happen. 
and and we and the Lord will not bless that that um, our our heart's motive. We, we do have to check our motives why we're going to that person and 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 making them aware of what they did that hurt us. It has to be about restoring the relationship. It has to be because we love them and we value the relationship. Okay, so. So that's an opportunity for us to grow as going and being courageous to go and talk. Now, also to be the recipient. When somebody comes to us and points out something that we did wrong, this is something that I had to deal with that was really hard for me. And because when anybody, when I wanted rejection, uh, my behavior, I was taught that my behavior ex- um, um, dictated if I was going to be accepted or rejected. So I was always trying to be good and trying to be a, a response, you know, being um, uh, just careful to show love and display love, okay? So that was very much my heart. So when people would come to me and I had made a mistake or I did something that hurt them, it devastated me and I would take it very personal and I, for a long time, felt like I had to pay for it. I had to hurt and pay for my mistakes. I didn't know how to go to Jesus and just uh, uh, find forgiveness because something in me needed to pay, be punished. And I just actually got set free in this past year when the Lord showed me that. He said, you cannot lead, uh, be a leader and, and take that and respond and think that you have to be perfect in order to, to, to lead. And yeah. in, in never hurting anybody because that's not reality. We ha- we're going to hurt people, even, in our, even unintentional. And so it's very important that we, uh, when, when, when somebody comes to us and say what you did, that we, can, that we won't let ourselves be a victim and, and, and take it like as rejection. Okay? And so, so uh, maturity means that we take that, and initially it might hurt, but we're going to work through it, and we're going to come to re- uh, what the Lord is wanting to speak to us. And we get to say, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That was not, you know, you know if you meant it, you, you say you're sorry. You know, you repent. But even if you didn't know you did it, you still say, I'm sorry, you know, that I hurt you, but I'm so grateful that you valued my, our relationship enough to come to us. You know, and it helps us understand it. And, and, and I have learned that uh, when people come to me and tell me something, I, I, don't, I don't just dismiss it as like, well, I didn't mean to do that. I'm just going to let it go. But I actually let the Lord evaluate my heart, help me check my heart and make an adjustment because I want to be a good leader. And I'm, so I'm, I'm willing to be to, to make an adjustment. So I just wanted, I just want to throw that out because it's practical. It is very much, um, it is so powerful in your relationship with your husband and wife that we learn to go and, and, and we don't just accuse and be, and we, and we sit with that hurt, but we get to have opportunity when we, when I go to, when I go to Yuri and I would say, what did you mean by that? When you said that, because this is what I felt. I got to hear his heart and it, it brought us together so much more. I get to understand him and our relationship had an opportunity to grow on another level. Amen. So good. So somebody ought to buy her a suit and let her preach. You know? Or just let her preach. Um, but yeah, and here's, here's the other... Here's the other motivation that we should have for wanting to resolve issues in relationships. You can teach what you know, but you will only reproduce what you are. No matter what you say, what you carry is what you will reproduce. And so if you don't resolve those issues in your own life, you're going to reproduce them in others. That's how a lot of things actually get passed to children families is because of unresolved issues in the parents and so let's stand I just want to pray with us and then we're going to enter into communion father I'm so grateful for sons and daughters who are hungry who are thirsty who have a desire to grow who have a desire to 
come into maturity, to be fathers and mothers in the body of Christ, to be leaders and influencers of those who are hungry. I ask, Lord, that for every one of us, that you would help us engage in the process of getting out of any places where we've been stuck to work through offenses, to work through passive-aggressive patterns of behavior, to engage in our kingdom assignments, to dig into the meat of the word for ourselves, and not just rely on others to feed us, but that we could begin to carry the revelation of the word ourselves. And we not compare ourselves with others saying, well, I can't get the kind of stuff that he or she gets, and so I'm just not going to try. Because help us to understand that there's a healthy process of coming into a place where we can uncover the treasure of the word. And that it all relates to our giftings and the lens that we see life through and the motivations of our hearts and the calling that we have, and the anointing that we have. So, we, Father, we just ask that you would give grace for every person in that process to break out of any places where we've been stuck and come into a place of growth and overcoming power because we recognize that the promises that you gave in your word are to the overcomers. Even as we live today in a victim culture, help us not to develop the mindset of a, of a victim, and in, in fact, to break those things off and to come into a place where we begin to overcome and to grow and to get unstuck and be willing to give what we've received. And so, Father, now as we go to receive the bread and the wine or the juice, we ask that you would come and that you would be with us, that you would reveal Jesus, the bread of heaven that was broken for us. so that whoever eats of this bread would never die. And whoever drinks of this cup would find life and freedom. Freedom from all bondage, all captivity. And so, Father, let us examine ourselves. And let us make sure that there's nothing in our hearts between us and you. There's nothing in our hearts between us and our brother and sister. so that we drink and eat blessing to ourselves, not damnation. Today, we declare that there is one body of Christ. It's not about Freedom Fellowship Church. It's not about a denomination. It's about the body of Christ. So we declare that we are one with the universal body of Christ. The body of Christ in places like Ukraine and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iran that's going through, and China that's going through horrific suffering. We're one with them. We pray for them. We ask that you would release much grace, much courage, much strength. Let them not compromise their faith no matter what the cost. We're one with them. We're making ourselves available as you need prayer for them to move on our hearts. Wake us up in the night when you need someone to intercede. We are one body of Christ, and we bless the body of Christ wherever they are. Wherever the life of Jesus is, there the body of Christ is. And we ask, Father, for an invasion of the life of Christ throughout every nation of the earth. And, and according to your word, that you're going to raise up a great multitude that no man can number out of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Thank you, Lord, that includes ours whatever our tribe is, and we bless them in Jesus' name.